The word of God says rejoice for this is the day that the Lord has made. Do you believe that this morning? Psalm 118 says rejoice and be glad in it because the Lord has done it. He is in it. The Lord, he is present. He is working. He is above it all. I love this reality, this truth of joy. And that doesn't mean that everything is the way we want it to be. <laughs> I don't know about you, some of you who have kids. I have kids at home, my wife, and we're battling figuring out how do you do school with kids at home and all the other responsibilities. Some of you are there, right? Even if you're in that situation, we can rejoice. Even if there's that unknowing reality of a virus lurking in the very air we breathe, we can still rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Even if you're alone and stuck, it feels in this chaotic, changing world, and it feels like you're stuck, rejoice, because the Lord is in it. Rejoice, even when there's not enough money <laughs> to pay all the bills, rejoice. I think of Paul as he wrote those words, rejoice in the Lord. He was in prison. He was in prison, but he said, rejoice in the Lord. In Psalm 118, it says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. Psalm 118 declares that God is our salvation. He is our hope. He is our strength. And so that is why we can rejoice this morning. Not because the world is, it should be, but because God is who he is. And he's doing something. He's bringing order out of chaos. He's bringing healing out of brokenness. He's bringing light out of darkness. That's what Jesus is doing. And that's why we can rejoice. <laughs> we can rejoice because Jesus is Lord. Praise God. Praise God. If you're joining us online, uh, would you let us know you're with us? And would you put in the chat that you are rejoicing in the Lord today with us? We are the final week of a series on 21 Days of Intention. And this is an opportunity for us as a church family to pause and to see the importance of making God the priority of our lives. And one of the ways that we believe God has revealed that we can do that is through spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. And as I shared at the very beginning of this series that uh, we are beings who are created to love. We have desires. And those desires can go astray. They can go awry and they can lead us to a lot of different places. But spiritual disciplines and practices are a way that God invites us by his grace into the formation of our love, the formation of our desire towards what is of ultimate value, of ultimate worth. And there is no greater value or worth than God himself. He is the treasure. He is the one who will ultimately satisfy us. And so as, as we come into these practices, we are being shaped and formed as God has made us to be worshipers, to be lovers of him, as the Bible invites us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength, but also to love each other because we were created to be in relationship with one another. And so these spiritual practices are forming us and our desires and our love. So we've looked at three so far of fasting and prayer and, and, and separating out of distraction and, and finding silence and solitude. And then last week, Nick uh, reminded us of the practice of Sabbath rest. 
And all of these are about God and loving God and knowing God and being known by Him and loved by Him as we have already sung this morning. This morning we're going to talk about evangelism. And it's deeply connected to the other practices. But when I say that word evangelism, uh, I can assume, because I've had these different reactions, there's different reactions to that word in this room. For some of you, you're saying, what's that? (laughs) Never heard of it. Because we don't talk a lot about it, but it's all over the scripture. And uh, for some of you, you may have this image in your mind, almost a kind of a fanaticism of someone on a street corner with a bullhorn yelling at people. (laughs) Some of you have that image of an evangelist on a street corner yelling at people. For some, it could bring some sense of guilt. Maybe some of you have been part of churches or been in a place where there was almost like a quota system, that if you weren't talking to people about God or talking about Jesus every day, every week, then uh, you were going to lose points. <laughs> lose points with God and lose points with the church. So there's this sense of guilt. I know I should be doing it, but I'm not doing it. I'm failing. I'm no, I don't have what it takes. I've been there. <laughs> I've felt that. For some of you, when you hear that word evangelism, there's just this sense of fear. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to talk to people about God. (laughs) It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. I've been there. Fear, in fact, it's a a miracle. I'm even in front of you this morning because at one point in my life, I was paralyzed by fear of what people would think of me, of being accepted by people. And so in this room, when we talk about evangelism, there's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of reactions. There's a lot of feelings that might arise in our hearts, and our, in our spirits. But I want to invite you this morning to listen to God's word because I, I think God has something good for us in this word evangelism because at the very core of this word is good. It means good news. And it's about something good. And so my prayer this morning is that God would reform and refresh our understanding of his purpose of his calling. I love what Nick said last week that part of what God is doing is he's, he's forming us to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. And if God has a glorious good purpose and he's inviting us to be part of that goodness, then it truly is good. <laughs> it is so, so good. And so my prayer is that we would leave here this morning with a new understanding and an increased joy for God's invitation to practice the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, we all like good things. In fact, it's kind of silly that we would even uh, talk about evangelism as if something to learn because we're all evangelists. We all do it. (laughs) Every person I've ever met is an evangelist of something. I, I haven't had a conversation with someone where I am not told about something good that they've experienced or something good that they're looking forward to or something good that they want to do. Uh, We are by nature people who love to share good things. (laughs) And that's why as you go out and as you interact with people, you share about good things you've experienced, whether it's a great meal, a great restaurant, uh, you found this awesome hike or this amazing place, or you saw a good movie, or you found a great product— What do you do with that? 
you share it, <laughs> don't you? Don't you share it? People share good things all the time. And so we already know how to be evangelists. We already know how to talk about good things. We already point people to good things. I like what Reinhard Bonnke says that when he's talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, he says it's like water. <laughs> it's like water because he says no one invented it. No one came up with water, right? But everyone needs it. Can you live without water? I cannot live without water. None of us can live without water. And Jesus Christ says, I am living water. Living water. We need it. We're desperate for it. We would die without it. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus is like water. And so if we already know how to share about good things. And Jesus says, I am the living water. And then, so the invitation with evangelism is only to share what is good, what we have experienced in Jesus Christ. And so we, we can't share what we haven't experienced. I, I had a, a worship pastor I worked with for many years. He, he said, uh, a tragedy is if you have a travel brochure and you're telling people about an amazing trip, but you've never been there, right? <laughs> and so you're telling people about a place that you've never been to, an experience you've never had. Uh, that's empty. That's uh, not good news. But the good news that we can share in Jesus is something that we've experienced. Reinhard Bonnke goes on to say, the gospel of Jesus is good news. He says it's not good history. It's not just looking back at what happened. It truly is good news because it happens. It happens. Jesus happens. He is alive. We just sang this morning, he is the resurrected one who came out of that grave. Jesus is moving. He is working. He is present with us. He is not silent. He is speaking to all of us. The question is, are we listening? <laughs> he is good and he's happening. And so when we talk about evangelism, we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, it's not a past reality or just a future hope. It is a present goodness of what God is doing right now today. I would venture to guess that the reason, reason many of you are here this morning is because Jesus happened in your life. We sang about that, that there was a moment in your life where you realized your bankruptcy, when you realized your thirst, when you realized your hunger, and you realized the emptiness of life without him, and you invited him into your heart, you invited him into your life, and he turned things around, he turned your life around, and he gave you a new perspective, a new joy, a new hope, a new forgiveness, a new life. Jesus happens, and he's happened in many of you. And I can tell you this morning, he's happened in my life. He changed my life. He rescued me, and he's given me a passion and a love for him that I cannot describe in words, but he's done something in me that can never be taken away. And I know that's true for many of you. Jesus is good news. Paul says in Corinthians that of first importance, his passion, what compelled him, what drove him is to share this message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and, and that he came and he was crucified for our sins. And as the scripture says that he was raised to life, that he is the resurrection and the life. Paul says this message of Jesus is of first 
importance. So we're going to look at three passages this morning, and normally when we read the Word of God, we, we stand, and next week we're going to dive into 1 John, and I'm going to invite you to stand in honor and respect. But this morning, I'm just going to have you sit and, and receive this Word. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, you can open it to 1 Peter chapter 3. It will also be on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 3. And remember, Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus. And listen to what he says. He says, do not fear their threats. He's talking to Christians, followers of Jesus, living in a hostile culture, a hostile place. They didn't want to hear the good news about Jesus. It was a risk to talk about him. It was a risk to share him. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Say prepared. We're in this series, 21 Days of Intention. We're talking about practice, disciplines. This is what Peter is saying. Be prepared. Be intentional to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. Isn't that needed in our day? In our culture? Are we living in hopeless times? I see it. I see it. Be prepared. Do this with gentleness and respect. He's not saying get out the bullhorn. (laughs) Don't go on the corner. But he says be prepared and do this in a way with gentleness and respect. We're in relationships with a lot of people. All of you are. We have contacts with all kinds of people. We're going to our jobs. We're going to sporting events. We're, we're moving in this community. We're going to the store. We're going to the school. We're going wherever. And we're to be prepared and ready to give an answer to anyone, everyone who asks for the hope that we have. But here's what I want you to really notice. Revere Christ as Lord in your hearts. Here's the key to evangelism. And this is why this is part of this series, because what we've been talking about the last three weeks, (laughs) making God the priority, going away, letting go of things that are distracting us, keeping us from that relationship with Jesus, about prayer and fasting and and Sabbath rest, stopping for a time, for a period from all our activity to make God our treasure, to understand and to hear his voice. You see, evangelism is deeply connected with the other disciplines. (laughs) In fact, this is just an overflow, an outflow of of what it means to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. To, To make God the priority of our life. And as we do that, as we revere Christ, as he becomes our treasure, then we are prepared, then we are ready, and then we are even eager to share about the good news. This is the experience that we can point people to. It's only when we revere Christ. And so what's done so much harm is when we talk about Jesus, but there's no reverence in our hearts. (laughs) There's no passion in our hearts. There's no love in our being for who he is. And there's no experience of his grace. We haven't received that love that we sang about. It's only in that relationship of receiving, of grace, of transformation, and communion, and abiding in Christ, that out of that comes the preparation to share. Take note of that. The next passage I want to look at is Acts 4. So you can move, 
Go in your Bibles to Acts 4. Actually, you would be going back from uh, Peter. Acts 4. This is the story of the early church, the Christians. Remember, the disciples had followed Jesus and much to their surprise, Jesus went to the cross and much to their disappointment because they thought Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom. Jesus had a purpose that was bigger, greater than they could ever imagine. How many of you have been taken back, surprised by life. (laughs) There's a lot of turns in life that we don't expect. These last year, you've had all kinds of changes, all kinds of things that you did not expect. God's in the unexpected. And here are the disciples, because Jesus went to the cross, and then he came out of the grave, resurrected, and then he gave them the Holy Spirit. And now he's commissioned them, sent them, into the world to share the name of Jesus, to share what we talked about in Psalm 118, that God is our salvation. And so in Acts 4.13, these very same disciples that were only uh, days before cowering, hiding, because they were afraid, now are standing in the temple courts in the street place and they're talking about Jesus in verse 12 they say salvation is found in no one else and by the way they just quoted Psalm 118 (laughs) this stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone remember rejoice in the Lord always rejoice in the Lord for what he has done this is the day that he has made salvation is found in no one else For there is no other name under heaven given to us, to mankind, by which we must be saved. Jesus is the salvation that we long for. He is the hope that we are grasping for. He is the answer to the thirst and the hunger that is in every human being's hearts. And the disciples had good news, and they wanted to share it. They weren't going to keep that news to themselves. They were going to share it. But there was some persecution. People didn't like it. But look at verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note. And here's the key. These men had been with Jesus. Remember in 1 Peter it says, Revere Christ in your hearts. And here we have Peter and John boldly sharing about Jesus, sharing the good news about the reality of the salvation that they experienced, the hope that they found, the forgiveness that that wiped away all the guilt, all the shame, all the fear, all the struggle was gone because now they had clarity, they had understanding about the purpose of God and of the goodness of God. That God was not condemning the world but he was coming to save the world and so they proclaimed Christ but they had been with Jesus you see again why evangelism is so connected with the other practices (laughs) other disciplines (laughs) this comes out of communion with him it comes out of that relationship that love relationship that we have with Jesus because when we receive from him then we have something to give You see, evangelism isn't self-propelled. It's not self-motivated. It's (laughs) God-propelled. God-motivated. This is a God-sized plan, a God-sized purpose, and he invites us 
into his purpose. Because God is redeeming, he's saving, and he's doing something in human history. He's making something in this world, in this creation that's been corrupted by sin. He is doing something to make us into who he created us to be in his image. And so they had been with Jesus. It's so important that we are with Jesus. (laughs) It's not just a, a task It's not just something we add to the calendar. It's not just another thing. It is the thing. He is everything. And we are with him. We have everything. When we're with him, we receive everything we need. He is enough for us. Now I want to go to John chapter 6. The final passage I want to look at with you guys this morning. John chapter 6. And I want to see how all these passages are intertwined to help us understand and understand God's purpose of evangelism, to understand the purpose of sharing the good news and why we need to be prepared for it and what it means to be prepared for it. John 6, we have a story, and I love this story. This is an awesome story because Jesus uh, was in a difficult place because his uh, cousin and friend, John the Baptist, had just been killed, beheaded. And so he went to get away, right? He, he tried to escape for a while to be alone with his father because Jesus was hurting. And in that time, the crowds were looking for Jesus and they kept pursuing him. But Jesus wasn't angry or frustrated or upset. He was filled. <laughs> he had everything he na- needed because he was with God and he was God. And he was, he was revealing to us the life that we're invited into with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And so the crowds found him and he began to teach and he began to share and it said he had compassion on them. And it says in some of the gospels that these crowds, that they were were lost and they were looking for answers. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They were asking. They were asking for God to do a work in their lives. And then after he had taught for a long time, he saw this crowd in verse 5 of chapter 6. He said to his disciples, now this is interesting. He said to his disciples, I believe God is saying to us today, (laughs) he's inviting us to be participants. You see, we're not just called to be consumers of Jesus, to be consumers of what God has for us, but to be participants with God, to be with him. Remember, the disciples were with him. He's inviting us to be with him. And he has something for us. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And he saw this crowd. And what does he say? He asks a question. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Where? Now, we have a problem as human beings. We're not very good listeners. (laughs) Jesus asked an intentional question (laughs) because he was was probing the hearts of the disciples. And I think— Jesus is probing our hearts always, looking to how we can be made and transformed, how we can receive from him. Because Jesus had a plan. He had a purpose in this. And I think he has a plan and purpose for you today. No matter what you're facing, what you're going through, God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has something wonderful for us. So where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? It's interesting if you look at the disciples' response. 
because immediately their mind goes where our minds go. They want to find out, okay, how do we make this happen? <laughs> These people are hungry. Jesus sees their need. Let's feed them. But here's the problem. As Andrew and Philip point out, they say, this is going to take a lot of money, Jesus. <laughs> we, they start counting and they start calculating. And pretty soon they say, well, it's going to take at least a half a year's wages. And that will only give them one bite. So even if we had that much money, it wouldn't fill them up. They would still be hungry and it wouldn't accomplish anything. How many of you feel overwhelmed when you start doing the math? <laughs> when you start calculating you start looking at life circumstances and you look at the need and you say, I don't have enough. I don't have what it takes. But Jesus didn't ask what it would take. He says, where should we get bread for these people to eat? Where? You see, Jesus was teaching them, inviting them into the good news. <laughs> the good news. The good news that they needed that we need. And so Jesus did a miracle as they found a few loaves and a few fish. And I love that it was just a few things. I think of when we started this series, I shared about Moses. Remember Moses in the wilderness, alone, only a shepherd. And God says, I want you to go to Egypt and tell these people that God is going to set them free. Tell Pharaoh that God is going to set them free. And Moses says, I don't have it. I don't have what it takes. I lack. <laughs> he had so many excuses. We have so many excuses. The disciples had excuses. But Jesus did what they could not do. And that is the invitation to be participants with God. Because later when the disciples... When they see that he multiplied and it was piece by piece as people broke the bread and they broke the fish and then there was 12 basketfuls left over with pieces. Enough. More than enough. Not just for the crowd, but for the disciples. More than enough. God made a way. Jesus made a way. But later in chapter 7, he says, it's not about the bread or the fish because the crowds kept coming. They kept saying, make more bread, make more fish. <laughs> But here's the point. This is what evangelism is all about. Jesus said, I am the bread. I am the bread. Remember what he asked the disciples? Where should we buy bread for the people to eat? <laughs> and the people, they were, they were looking for another piece of bread. And in a world where people are going crazy, just looking for something to fill them up to satisfy that hunger, to satisfy that thirst, to be accepted, to be loved, to be known, to be recognized. People are looking for pieces of bread and pieces of fish, temporary things that will only make them hungry again. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the living water. And so this is what the good news is. It's about Jesus. And what he can do, not what we can do, not what we can offer, but what Jesus can do and what he is doing in us and in through us. Jesus is the bread of life. Have you eaten of Jesus? He said, if you come after me, you must eat of me and you must drink of my blood. Drink, eat, revere with 
him. And it's when we're with him that everything else fades away. Everything we thought was important is no longer important. Everything we thought we, was so important that we treasured and we thought would satisfy, we realize does not. And that Jesus alone satisfies and that he is the best news that we could ever receive and that we could ever share in this world. And I want to close with this story. As you know, many of, uh, of you guys know, we have, as a church, partnered with a group of pastors in India to bring the good news of Jesus to places where people have never heard the name of Jesus, to share that good news. And just this week, Matthew, uh, James Matthew, um, who many of you have met, sent me a, a text, sent it with an article of how many of these families are being harassed, are being persecuted. There's a cost as they go out and they share the good news of Jesus. And this week as I was preparing this message and I felt strongly I needed to share this story with you, there's a pastor named Pastor Munsi Thado. He's not one of the 30 that we support, but he's in that same region of areas where, where the people that we are partnering with to bring gospel to, of Jesus into India. This summer he was killed. He was 35 years old. He had three kids. I have three kids. And so this hit me this week as I thought about this young man. And here's what struck me. He was killed because he was sharing Jesus in his village. Now, here's the interesting thing. He had been harassed and persecuted, and life was very difficult for him for five years. Five years. Now, if he was motivated by some kind of guilt— or if fear was there, he probably would have left after the first day or the second day or the third week or the first year or the second year or maybe even the fourth year. But five years and he didn't leave. He continued to share about Jesus. Now, what was interesting as I read about this man is he had been a Maoist. He had been a communist. At one point he had thought that the need for this world was a political system, a political solution to the hunger and thirst and the need. And he discovered that was only like the bread and fish. It didn't satisfy. But he met Jesus. <laughs> he met Jesus. And something changed in his heart. Something changed. He ate the bread of life. <laughs> And that bread of life sustained him for five years. For five years, he was harassed. For five years, he was persecuted. For five years, he was beaten. For five years, he was told to go away. For five years, he was told to renounce Jesus. But he didn't stop. Where does that come from? It's got to come from what Jesus talked about in John 6. <laughs> he ate the bread of life. <laughs> he knew Jesus. <laughs> Because Jesus was good news, such good news that he was willing to lay his life down for that news. It was so good that everything else paled in comparison. So when I see Peter and John at the temple courts talking about Jesus and being threatened and being told that they're going to be put in prison, and I see Apostle Paul being willing to go to prison, and I see all these Christians, and I see what they're willing to lay aside for the good news of Jesus, it tells me that Jesus is good and that he's enough. He can give us what we need to share this glorious news. John 7, I'm going to invite the musicians to come on up as we close.
Look what Jesus says in John 7. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. That's the invitation. Some of you haven't received the good news. And I want to invite you this morning, don't leave this place without receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He came and he was crucified on the cross to forgive you of your sins. He has set you free. There's no more shame, no more guilt, no more fear, no more hiding. (laughs) You can be free in Jesus Christ. And his resurrection guarantees life not only now, but for all of eternity. Come to Jesus and drink. He's enough. You don't need money. You don't need status. You don't need position. You have everything in Jesus. He's enough. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Do you have access to that water? (laughs) Brother, sister, let's not be motivated by guilt to share about Jesus. Let's not be motivated by fear. Let's not hide. We have access to living water. He is more than enough. He is more than enough. I was praying about that this morning, and here's what Jesus showed me. He said, Ben, I'm enough for you to share Jesus with your own kids because just sharing Jesus in our own families, I think of the weakings who stood up here and said, we want to share Jesus. It's a battle. It's a struggle. We don't feel like we have what it takes. And I stand up here as a pastor saying, I don't have what it takes to share Jesus with my kids. But the Spirit of God is within me. The Spirit of God is in you. And this morning I cried out to Jesus, Jesus, give me that living water so I can share that water with my children. They need you. I need you. My neighbors need you. Those I meet on the soccer field need you. Those I meet as I go to the store need you. Lord, flow through me. Flow through us. Lord, as we close this time, Jesus, may you be exalted. You are our treasure. You are the one we need. Let us lay aside every sin that entangles, every sin that hinders. Lord, we turn away from our selfishness and our pride and our desire for comfort and safety. We put all that aside and we say, Jesus, you are worth living for and you are worth dying for because you loved us first and you died for us first and you've given us everything we need. We give you praise in Jesus' name.